Chapter Eleven of the Girl Who Had Nothing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. The Girl Who Had Nothing by Mrs. C. N. Williamson. Chapter Eleven: Kismet and a V.C. Now, where on earth have I seen that girl before? Joan Carthew asked herself. It was at Bayaritz, where she was enjoying, as she put it to herself, a well-earned holiday, and she was known at her hotel and among the few acquaintances she had made as the Comtesse de Merval, a young widow with plenty of money. She was a Comtesse because it was easy to say that one has married a sprig of foreign nobility, without being found out. She was a widow because it is possible for a widow to be alone, unchaperoned, and to amuse herself, without ceasing to become ill-fault joan had amused herself a great deal during the six weeks since she had left england and the cream of the amusement had consisted in inventing a romantic story about herself and getting it believed it was as good as acting in a successful play which one has written for oneself at the present moment she was walking on the plage pleasantly conscious that she was one of the prettiest and best-dressed women among many who were pretty and well-dressed then a blonde girl passed her a blonde girl who was new to Bayrettes, but who somehow did not seem new to joan's retina her photograph was somewhere in the book of memory, and, oddly enough, it seemed to have a background of sea and blue sky, as it had to-day. The girl was pretty, as a beautifully dressed golden-haired doll in a shop window is pretty. She was also exceedingly good form, and she was vouched for as a young person of importance by a remarkably distinguished-looking old man who strolled beside her. They turned, and in passing the Comtesse for the second time, the girl looked full in Joan's face, with a lingering gaze such as a spoiled beauty often directs upon a possible rival. Then, all in an instant, Joan knew. Why, she reminded herself, it's the girl I saw at Brighton, the girl I envied. I know it is she. That's eight years ago, but I can't be mistaken. Somehow this seemed an important discovery. If Joan, a miserable, overworked slavey of twelve, nursing her tyrant's baby, had not been bitten with consuming jealousy of a child no older but a thousand times more fortunate than herself, she might have gone on indefinitely as a slavey, and might never have had a career. The little girl at Brighton had looked scornfully from under her softly drooping leghorn hat at the shabby child nurse, and a rage of resentment had boiled in Joan's passionate young heart. Now the tall girl at Bayaritz looked with half-reluctant admiration from under an equally becoming hat at the Comtesse de Merval, who was more beautiful and apparently quite as fortunate as she. Nevertheless the old scar suddenly throbbed again, so that Joan remembered there had once been a wound, and she knew that she had no gratitude for the girl to whom, indirectly, she owed her rise in the world. Joan was usually generous to women, even when she had no cause to love them, for, with all her faults, there was nothing of the cat in her nature. Yet, to her surprise, she felt that she would like to hurt this girl in some way. "'What a brute I must be,' she said to herself. "'I didn't know I was so bad. Really, I mustn't let this sort of thing grow on me, otherwise I shall degenerate from a highwayman—rather a gallant one, I think—into a cad, and I should lose interest in foraging for myself if I were a cad.' As she thought of this, the girl and her companion were joined by a man. Joan glanced, then gazed, and decided that he was the most interesting man to look at whom she had ever seen in her life not that he was the handsomest as mere beauty of feature goes but he was of exactly the type which joan and most women admire at heart above all others one did not need to be told to know that he was a soldier as he stood talking to his friends with his hat off and the sun chiselling the ripples of his close-cropped hair in bronze his head towered above those of the other men who came and went his face was bronze too of a lighter shade blending into ivory halfway up the forehead and his features were strong and clear-cut as a bronze man's should always be 
he wore no moustache or beard and his mouth and chin were self-reliant firm and generous but joan liked his eyes best of all as she passed slowly they met hers for a second and their clear depths were brown and bright as a devonshire brook when the noonday sun shines into it it was only for a second that the man's soul looked at her from its windows but it was long enough to make her sharply realize two facts one that she was far far beneath him the other that he was the only man in the world for her to think that that girl should know him and i not she said to herself rebelliously he is miles too good for me but he's more miles too good for her because she hasn't any soul and i have even though it's a bad one again after all these years that girl passes through my life taking with her as she goes what i would give all i own all i might ever gain to have it's kismet nothing less a contest bonjour murmured a voice that joan knew and then it went on in very good english with only a slight foreign accent you are charming to-day but you do not see your friends they must remind you of their existence before they can win a bow i have just seen someone who was like a ghost out of the past returned joan with a careless smile for the handsome dark young man who had stopped to greet her what his face lighted up you know that young lady you were looking at this is indeed interesting and i will tell you why presently if you will let me if you would but introduce me at all events to the father the rest i can do for myself i don't know her said joan although an important issue of my life was associated with the girl i can't even give you her name i can do as much as that for you said the marquise villafora she is a miss violet french and the old man is her father general french not only is she one of the greatest beauties but one of the greatest heiresses in england ah said joan no wonder you are interested no wonder but what good does that do to me since i have not the honor of her acquaintance and since she is to marry that great bronze statue of a fellow a pang shot through joan's heart and she was ashamed because it was a jealous pang she is to marry him how do you know that since you are not acquainted with her it is an open secret i saw the father and daughter in paris three weeks ago and fell in love at first sight ah you may laugh you english women cannot understand us latins it is true that i proposed to you but you would not take me and my heart was soon after caught in the rebound it is very simple you thought that you fell in love with me at first sight too at least you said so and without any introduction except picking up my purse when i dropped it in the champs-elysees i got an introduction afterwards yes a lady who was staying at my hotel at all events she vouched for me she has known my family for years in madrid she warned me against you marquise she said that you were a fortune hunter and that you fancied i was rich when you had proposed and i had told you frankly that my fortune was but silver gilt warranted to keep its color for a few years only you were very much obliged to me for refusing you as it saved you the trouble of jilting me afterwards you are still more obliged to me now that you have met a genuine heiress who has all the other desirable qualifications as well you are cruel exclaimed villefora to whose style of good looks reproaches were becoming cannot a man love twice what does it matter to the heart whether there has been an interval of weeks or of years i am madly in love with miss french and as you promised to be my friend if i would talk no more nonsense i have no hesitation in confessing it to you i followed her here from paris and arrived only this afternoon she is at the hotel victoria therefore so am i so am i but not therefore cut in joan and the the man you say she is to marry colonel sir justin wentworth he is at the grand but he has come for her i know the whole story i have it from a gossiping old lady who is au courant with every one's affairs if they are worth bothering with and she does not make mistakes she has told me that general french was the guardian of this sir justin that the father a baronet was his dearest friend the match has been an understood thing ever since wentworth was eighteen and the girl five for there is quite thirteen years difference in their ages 
then he is about thirty-four or five said joan thoughtfully yes but in that i am not interested the awful part for me is that the girl is now of age and the obstacle of her youth no longer prevents the marriage any day the worst may happen if i could only meet her i might have a chance to undermine the cold bronze statue even though he has a great reputation as a soldier and is a v c but how to manage the introduction the father has an air of a medieval dragon joan's heart said the man is not a cold statue but aloud she remarked i see now why you hoped that i knew miss french you wanted me to manage it well perhaps i can even as it is i have undertaken more difficult things and succeeded oh if you would but why should i hope it since you have nothing to gain joan dropped her eyes and did not answer yet you will try pleaded villafora yes i will try on one condition you must be a connection of the late comte de merval your husband joan smiled as she nodded i am spanish he was i understand french but then that presents no difficulty there are such things as international marriages yes your mother's sister married an uncle of my husband's didn't he quite so it is settled agreed the marchese gravely well then that is the sharp end of the wedge i will do my best and cleverest to insert it said joan as you have just arrived it will be the easier we are cousins it can appear to all those whom it does not concern meaning the gossips of the hotel that you have run on to see your cousin for the rest you must trust me for a day or two or perhaps more joan had tea with her cousin at miramont's and they saw the french's and sir justin wentworth also having tea violet french looked at joan with the same side glance of half-grudging admiration as before and joan looked now and then at violet french with a charming frank gaze which seemed to say you are so sweetly pretty that i can't keep my eyes off you and i like you for being pretty in reality it said something quite different but it was effects not realities which mattered at the moment thus the campaign had begun though the enemy was blissfully ignorant of the activity upon the other side joan went back to the hotel rather earlier than she had intended and going straight to the large empty dining-room rang for the head waiter when he appeared she asked if it were yet arranged where a new arrival general french was to sit with his daughter the waiter pointed out a small table or two near the centre of the room but before his hand withdrew from the gesture it was turned palm upward in answer to a slight silent hint from joan finally it retired with a louis in its clasp i want you to put my table close to theirs she said it shall be done madame replied the man and it was done therefore joan and violet could scarcely help exchanging more glances from between their red-shaded candles that night at dinner which joan ate alone unaccompanied by the wistful villafora the frenches appeared to know nobody in the hotel and of this she was glad there was the more chance for her after dinner there was a conjuring and joan contrived to sit next to miss french villafora was on the opposite side of the big drawing-room where he had reluctantly gone in obedience to his cousin's instructions the conjuring made conversation and joan was not surprised to find the heiress open to flattery when the performance was over she kept her seat and by this time having introduced herself to miss french the introduction was passed on to the father he good man was too well born to be actually a snob but he had no objection to titles even foreign ones and the comtesse de merival was so pretty so modest altogether such good form that he had no objection to her as at least an hotel acquaintance for his daughter it seemed that general french had been ordered to bayerets for his health and that he hoped to do some golfing but miss french hated golf and as she had no friends in the place she expected to be very dull at this joan reminded her gaily of the friend with whom she and her father had been walking in the afternoon oh but he is such an old friend he doesn't count exclaimed violet blushing a little she isn't a bit in love with him thought joan what a shame but tant mieux she is vain and romantic 
often the two qualities go together in a woman the ground is all prepared for me by and by sir justin wentworth strolled in from his hotel though she was dying to stay and meet him and perhaps have a few words joan rose and walked away this course was approved by general french he would have known what to think if the beautiful comtesse had made herself fascinating at such short notice to his son-in-law elect joan talked with her cousin who had been in the smoking-room and violet french had time to be intensely curious as to the connection between her charming new acquaintance the comtesse de merival and the handsome dark young man who had been in her hotel at paris he had looked at her then he looked at her now what was he to the comtesse what was the comtesse to him next morning both general french and sir justin wentworth walked off to the golf links leaving violet to write letters in the glass room that looked out on the sea presently joan came in with a writing-case in her hand and violet stopped in the midst of the first sentence of her first letter joan did not even begin to write nor had she ever cherished the faintest intention of doing so violet rather hoped that she would mention the dark young man but she did not and then of course violet hoped it a great deal more the two girls drifted from one subject to another and finally by way of a favorite author and popular novel of the moment they touched the key of romance i used to think that romance was dead in this century but lately i have been finding out that it isn't said joan oh not personally romance is over for me i loved my husband you see and he died the day of our wedding i married him on his deathbed that is not romance it is tragedy but i am speaking of what i should not speak of to you so let us talk of something else why asked violet oh because because i have an idea that you are engaged how can that matter it does matter i oughtn't to explain so you mustn't urge me you rouse my curiosity said violet but this was not news to joan engaged girls shouldn't have curiosity about anything outside their own romances replied the comtesse de merival mysteriously i've never had a real romance sighed violet i've always been more or less engaged to sir justin wentworth ever since i can remember he is a splendid fellow as you can see i hardly noticed said joan then added in a whisper but not too low a whisper to be heard i was so busy pitying some one else violet's color rose and she was really a very pretty girl though vanity made her eyes cold sir justin's father and mine were old chums went on violet our place and his lie close together in devonshire we have even some of the same money interests mine's in australia he has heaps of money too so there's no question of his needing to think of mine as if any man could think of your money when he had you to think of exclaimed joan no doubt you will be very happy such a long friendship ought to be a good foundation for the rest and yet and yet it's a pity that you should have to marry and become a placid english matron without first knowing some of the wild joys of real love real romance i thought you doubted there being any left in the world no i said i had found at least one case which had built up my faith again a case of passionate love born at first sight and strong enough to carry the man across the world if necessary to follow the woman he loves such love isn't likely to come my way it has come your way it is here close to you oh i have done wrong i should not have spoken but i am so sorry for him my poor handsome cousin your cousin this was a revelation and violet's eyes were not cold now but warm with interest yes the marquise villaflora the best-looking and one of the best-born young men in spain but indeed we must not talk of him what a lovely day it is i must have my motor-car out this afternoon how i should love to take you with me violet would ask no more questions but all that had been dark was now clear and she could think of nothing and no one except the comtesse's cousin the marquise villaflora joan had been in the hotel at barretts for ten days and by the trick of being nice she knew how to be very nice to the unattached old ladies and middle-aged dowagers she had been accepted on her own valuation 
she did not flirt she had a title she appeared to be rich she owned a motor-car therefore none of her statements regarding herself was doubted general french made an inquiry or two concerning her was satisfied with the replies and therefore consented to let his daughter join an automobile party arranged by the comtesse for the afternoon somehow in the motor-car violet sat next to the marquise villafora who gazed at her sadly with magnificent eyes and said very little it was extremely interesting she discovered to sit shoulder to shoulder with a man who was dying of hopeless love for you and had followed you across france though he had never spoken a word to you until to-day it was he who helped her out when they came back to the hotel and the thrill in her fingers after his had pressed them almost convulsively for an instant remained for a long time End of chapter eleven recording by denise nordell modesto california